Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. Good morning, everyone. Always a privilege to be able to talk uh, to any congregation, but particularly to your own congregation, and particularly to be able to talk about things pertaining to Jesus, who we serve, and particularly a privilege on a day like this where something, a one-off has happened in the week. And I know that a, a gathered congregation like this are full of a range of people who all had their different attitudes to royalty and monarchy and the queen and all that kind of thing. And yet we understand, don't we, as Christians and as church, that we have um, a duty as a minimum to pray for those who have authority over us. And that's why I'm particularly pleased that even in a church like ours, which is used to fun and laughter and joy and celebration, we can, in the middle of our service, take time to give honour where honour is due and to pray for those who are influential over our nation and over us. So I just want you to know that I'm, I'm pleased you could be part of that. And we uh, thought in the last couple of days whether we should change what we were about to teach on and preach on this morning. Uh, but after careful consideration, I just did a slight nudge in a different direction. And we're still going to do this series called Three Short Thoughts. And myself, uh, I'm going to be teaching this week. Mark's going to be teaching next week, I believe. And then uh, Sarah's going to be teaching the week after. And this series, Three Short Thoughts, is one um, on a, a book in the New Testament, a series of books, three letters that John the Apostle wrote that are often well hidden and very few people dip into. And we've just given ourselves the task of dipping into it, finding one or two verses that might help us on our journey in faith to help us grow. Is that good? Can we go there during September? Do I hear an amen? amen. Brilliant. I thought I would start reading some quotes from the Queen. In 1952, the late Queen said this, Pray for me that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. 1952. Most of you all know then that there was a, a whole series of then of uh, Christmas broadcasts. He was the first one to, to do that on video. And... Um, she rarely mentioned her faith up until the year 2000 in those Christmas broadcasts. And something happened. And every year since then, she has taught unequivocally, straightforwardly about her faith. Here are some things. Year 2000. To many of us, our beliefs are of fundamental importance. For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. 2002. I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give of my best in all that the day brings, and to put my trust in God. 2011. Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. For Christians, this is 2013, for Christians, as for all people of faith, reflection, 
meditation and prayer help us to renew ourselves in God's love as we strive daily to become better people. This love is for everyone. There is no one beyond its reach. 2016. Billions of people now follow Christ's teaching and find him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them. I wonder if we could pray. Let's just close our eyes and be with our own thoughts. I wanted to read those quotes because they link with what I'm about to talk to, but also because they show us that even someone who from the outside seems to have everything still needs someone, still needs a framework for their lives, still needs a guiding light, still needs a Lord, still needs a Savior, still strives to become a better person. And I find that challenging. So I just want to pray for us now, wherever we are, wherever we're from, wherever our journey of faith is, whether we're deep into it, whether we're just perusing from the outside. I pray that even today, light would break into your life. Where there is hopelessness, let hope come and let it come from the true source of hope, Jesus Christ. Where there are shadows and darkness, let his true, bright, unfailing light break into your life. Where you have a sense that you need saving from yourself every day, then today, let him be a saviour to you. There's a prayer I often pray. Most people here could repeat it word for word. They've heard me say it so many times. But I always want to give people the chance to say something meaningful and to make a decision in their hands. So I'm going to ask if people again just repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for living to show me how to live. Thank you for dying to rescue me. Rising again to offer me new life. I'm sorry for how I've harmed myself. Harmed my relationship with others. And harmed my relationship with you. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me new. I invite you into my life. And I give you my life. Holy Spirit, help me every day. To live for Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and it struck a chord with you and it meant something to you, then at the end, when everyone else is mingling around, please... Do grab a coffee, but head to our Need to Talk banner over there. Someone will be waiting for you. We just want to take a few minutes and pray with you, give you a little uh, gift and help you on your faith journey. Is that okay? Is that okay? Good. That's great. Three short thoughts is this series. It's written by a man called John, who is known by many people as the Apostle of Love. The apostle of love. That's what he's, he was known as because he wrote about love a lot. He also wrote about other things, but that was the, the, the main thing. Did you know you can read the, the epistles, the three letters he wrote, right near the end of the Bible? Okay, right near the end. You can't miss them. Start at the end. Just flick back a little bit, and you will find them. That's for those of you who have this thing called uh, uh, paper, by the way, paper Bibles. If you have a digital Bible... I don't know. I accidentally turned my Bible the other day into alphabetical mode. 
I was lost. I couldn't find any book I went, it just went into our, I don't know how you cope just reading a digital Bible. But anyway, it's near the end of the Bible. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. You can read his three letters in 20 minutes. How long does it take to read them? 20 minutes. minutes. Give it a go. Give it a go before your small group this week. Read the epistles of John. The first epistle was written to a community of believers. We don't know which one. We don't know where it was. We just know he knew them quite well. And I'll be taking a verse or two out of that today. Uh, Next week, we'll be looking at 2 John, the second epistle of of John. And that was written either to uh, a woman or a church which he just gave the feminine term to, the the lady or, or the woman. We don't know really which. We could have a... A guess, and maybe Mark will enlighten us next week. The third epistle was written to someone called Gaius. And um, we don't know much about him. We just know he received a letter from the apostle John. Uh, They were written after he wrote the gospel. This is the same person who wrote the fourth gospel. You know the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, and Ringo. You know those? You've read them well, haven't you? Good, just checking you're listening. So, so he wrote the gospel, and he also wrote Revelation, we think. So he wrote this after he wrote the gospel. So it was probably, I don't know, 90 AD, 95 AD, he wrote these three letters. And, and it's not far in to this first letter that John involves himself in some poetry, and he liked poetry. You get some poetry in Revelation. The Gospel of John starts with the most amazing piece of poetry. I don't know whether you can remember it. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You remember that poetry? And he, he talks about light and light breaking in to the world. And the world not being able to comprehend it's a wonderful piece of poetry and and it's not long into the this first epistle of John where he gets into poetry again and maybe we could uh, have a look there's a couple of pages of of what he said here it's coming right now there we go this is what he says I am writing to you dear children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. To you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. When we see it on the screen like that, it doesn't look like poetry, but some of your Bibles have been quite clever and they've laid it out differently. And you can see that in the original language, this flows really well and his turn of phrase is is very nice in it. And so he gets to this this strange little passage which seems to, to break up where he's going in his epistle, but it seems important to him. And the reason that he's... Uh, addressing those three groups of, of people is because he's about to warn this community of believers of something. Two traps. He's about to warn them of two traps. Would you like to know the two traps? Because, because I fall into them a lot. And, uh, and no doubt you do. Here's the two big traps that he's about to warn them of. The first is, don't love the world. That's a big one, isn't it? I mean, how do we not? The world is full of beautiful things. And this series isn't about that, okay? But, but he said, this is a trap. Don't love the world. And maybe that's worth exploring some more, and, and maybe we ought to do that in the future. The second trap is this. Look out for people who lead you astray. Don't love the world Look out for people who lead you astray. He talks about those two things in his first letter. It it seems important to him. Uh, And I guess 
It is important. I can love the world all too much with all its shiny and nice stuff. And I find it interesting that my human capacity, this mere mortal capacity, to both love things in the world whilst giving enough love for God is a very difficult thing to do. There often comes this prioritization and things in the world become more important than Jesus. All too easy for me. And I guess that's a trap. And then watch out for people who lead you astray. They're the two things he's he's going to be teaching these people about. But I want to focus on this little poetic passage. And he talks about three groups of people. Can you remember what they are? What was the first group? Children. Can you remember what the second group was? Fathers. And the third group? Young men. Right. So we're just going to disgender those and call it children, youth, and parents. Okay? Is that all right? C... Y, P, children, youth, and parents. And I may use the flip charts, I may not. I may have just wasted Dan and Ellis's time bringing the flip charts on. We'll see how it goes. Uh, what is interesting about this is that it's quite clear from the context that John, the writer of these letters, to a community of believers, probably not unlike ours, um, is not really talking about children, youth, and parents. He's not literally talking about that. He's talking about people who are young in the faith, children. People who are on their faith journey, they are youthful in the faith. And people who are well into their faith journey, parents. Now, John does have a fondness for calling anyone a child. And if you read his books, a lot of chapters start with this, dear children. It doesn't matter who he's talking to. Dear children. He has a real, a real love for the church. That's why he's called the apostle of love. If, if, he were to hear, if he were here today, he would probably start his sermon, dear children. I don't know how you'd feel about that, but that's just that's how he is. So you'll see this phrase popping up. But in this little piece of, of poetry he's written, he's clearly talking about people who are young in the faith. They are, you're new. You're you're embryonic. You've just discovered Jesus. And then youth, people who are, they're on the journey. Maybe you're only just on the journey, but, but they're on it. And then parents, people who, I guess if you were asked the question, are you a mature Christian? You would say, yeah, I've been around a bit. That's who he's talking to. And I find it interesting that Paul is clearly dealing with a journey of maturity here when we compare it with what the Queen has said about her own self. There's a 96-year-old woman who's still admitting in her words that she's on a journey of faith, becoming a better person. Age 96, becoming a better person. I mean, one thing that should say to her is this, is, us is this, don't stop. Don't stop growing. Don't stop learning. Don't stop digging in. Just, you, you keep going. We keep being transformed. So here's, here's John, and, and I find this challenging that he even brings to a community of believers, like ours, that there is such a thing as a journey of faith. Some people, you know, they think, um, let's just make a decision. Jesus, I, I believe this about you. I invite you into my heart. Phew, I'm safe. It's like they just think they can walk around the rest of their life and they've got Jesus as a parachute on their back in case things go wrong. But, but John clearly talks about this journey of growth. Uh, and I would suggest that we... We forget that at our peril. Because if you don't realize there's a journey, you don't know when you've turned around and when you've started going back the other way, right? So there's something about this that we need to understand. Um, before I, I go any further, let's just consider this whole idea of a, of a journey I went to a whiskey distillery recently. I know, I left my wife and the dog 
they went walking around some countryside and I, I'm, I loved whiskey distilleries, particularly the tasting bit at the end, that's lovely, it's worth the boring talk. No, I lo- I'm fascinated by the talk. But here's something, here's something that uh, I, I learned. Whiskey matures, do you know how it matures? It matures passively and by reduction, right? In other words, they make it. They do all the initial stuff, and it's all very, very clever what they do. And then they put it in a barrel or a cask, whatever you want to call it. And, and it sits and it waits for years and years and years and years, right? The most expensive Whiskey in the world has been sat there for decades and decades and decades, and no one knows whether it tastes any good. It could taste rubbish, but its value is because it's been waiting there for ages. And the longer it waits in its passivity, it's not doing anything, it reduces. So you look at that barrel there and you say, you've got a barrel of whiskey. No, you've not got a barrel of whiskey. You've got that much whiskey in the bottom of that big barrel because it's evaporated and the water has gone. It's just left with this bit of spirit at the bottom. And do you know, there is a kind of maturity that we can relate to whiskey and I guess to other things as well, which is very passive. And it involves reduction. That is not what this journey is like. The journey of faith is not passive at all. It's very active. And it involves addition. In fact, you could go hunting through some of the writings in the New Testament, particularly by Paul, and he, he looks at people like you and I, and he says this, add to your faith goodness. And he talks about adding stuff, adding stuff, adding stuff. It's like where he wants us to build ourselves up. There is nothing, let me tell you, there is nothing passive about maturing in Jesus Christ. It's very intentional. It's very active. We seek out ways to grow. And here John involves us in this journey. So the question, I guess, is this. How are you doing with your journey of faith? I mean, before I get into anything like nitty-gritty, which I'm going to in a, in a second, how about that question? How am I doing with my journey of faith? How are you doing? Let me pick the Queen's word. Are you better than you were last year? Are you a better person than you were last year? What about the year before? What about five years ago? What about those of you who have been on the journey 30, 40 years, like, like me, 50 years? Uh, are you better than you were five decades ago? You're still surviving. We're not going to do the song. You're, you're still surviving. That's good. It's, this is a journey. And self-examination is a good thing. Lord, I stand before you now. Help me see how I'm doing with this. I guess I could ask that question and the response could be, I've been a Christian for ages. How dare you ask me how I'm doing? How are you doing with your journey of maturity? Russ, I feel insulted. I feel offended. I've been a Christian for 30 years. There was a a preacher in this church, uh, years ago, who often in his sermons he would, he, would, he would say this, you say you've got 30 years experience. I say you've got one year's experience repeated 29 times. Now there's a challenging thought. And I guess I've been through years in my life where I guess tripping off the tongue, I could say, oh, I've got 10 years experience of that. But really... I put all the effort into one year. And then I've just been passive. I've really had one year's experience repeated nine times, not ten years' experience. And it's a challenging thought. Here's something we shouldn't confuse. Don't confuse longevity with maturity. Don't confuse longevity with maturity. 
Now, it's challenging for those of us who are older. Because we know people like to look at us and they see our grey hairs and they go, oh, he or she must be wise. Nope. Not necessarily so. We're just old. And I know the Bible says silver hairs and wisdom are the same thing, but it doesn't really mean that. Okay? You can be very... you. You can be a total numpty and be 70 years old. Right? Yeah. Who's 70? Phil. Well, there we go. I mean, case in point. <laughs> Look. It's true, isn't it? It's true. So we mustn't confuse longevity with maturity. And I guess then we could take a look at our life and see, okay, how active have we been? in growing our faith, in maturing, in engaging with Jesus, in engaging with the Holy Spirit. Has this journey been a whiskey journey? I'm in Jesus' barrel. I'm okay. And then you reduce and wait and reduce and wait because one day I'm going to glory. That's not really on offer for us. There's something about our journey which is additive and, and intentional. Here's something else we need to watch is that um, we can be experienced, genuinely experienced. I don't just mean the repetitive kind. We can be experienced in the faith, but I've buried our childlikeness in history so deep that all joyful curiosity and playfulness has gone out of our lives and that is not an option too here's John he writes to everyone whether you're 90 years old or not and he says dear children you see when John writes to children and youth and parents he's he's not saying to parents in the faith um, don't bother having any of these traits anymore He's not saying don't bother having any of these traits anymore. He's saying you add this together. You grow and you build. I would, I would urge those of us who are getting longer in the tooth and, and older, we would call ourselves aged or what's the word my son used? Vintage. <laughs> I prefer retro myself. But I don't know any of those. Antique I don't like. Vintage I can cope with. Retro, that's just good. Okay. I want to grow old like Stuart Smith grows old. Can still wear trendy, youthful gear and be admired. That's, that's great. But look, we can grow old in the faith and have lost all curiosity and playfulness. Hello? Come to church. Right. Impress me. <laughs> what? What impress me? I'll sit here as far away from the kids as possible. That's where I'm going to sit. <laughs> right. And, uh, and we've got to watch that kind of attitude. In fact, the clue is in the title. Parents. What do parents do? They parent. How can you be a parent without parenting? Okay. So, so those of us who are getting on, we, we need to watch this. So just as we shouldn't confuse longevity with maturity, don't confuse maturity with religi religiosity. We need to keep our playfulness. We need to keep our curiosity. As we get older, we don't come, become more religious. We become more mature. And that's a different thing. So let's watch that. Let's, uh, our community of believers, let's imagine John was writing to us. Let, let us, as we grow in our faith, let us not reduce and reduce and reduce our capacity to be able to accepting of other people, but let us rather increase it. Let us be ever more curious as we grow older. Curious about new things. Curious about what God might be saying in this age, in this way. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Not vicious old men. <laughs> no, any more of those. 
What did John write to the children? Children are not children. They're, they're people who are young in the faith. He wrote, know this, know this, he said. Your sins are forgiven. And you will know the Father. Can, I don't know whether you can see that for the angle. Is that better? He wrote to people who are new in the faith. Two things, two things. Your sins are forgiven. We forget that too easily. And you know the Father. In other words, what you've grasped this about God. You've grasped this about Jesus. He's like a father. He's like the father in the prodigal son. You, you re, you've realized he's been there looking. And there you were. You came to your senses. It's the phrase used in the story of that uh, prodigal son or the loving father, whatever you want to call it, or the two sons. It, it, the son came to his senses and he came back to father. And however simply he'd rehearsed this, this speech, Lord, you know, Father, forgive me of all these sins. And the father interrupts and embraces him and says, welcome. But you know Jesus, you know God, just simply as a father. Maybe when you prayed that prayer earlier and you repeated it, if you prayed it for the first time, you know, you know Jesus just like that. And you know that your sins have been forgiven. That's a great starting point. And let me tell you, remember what I said about the journey. It's not about you move from that and forget it onto other things. This remains. In fact, for all of us on our journey, we must always return to that. And so I would, I would say this. We must, I don't know whether I've got a pen with me here. Two things we must do is remind ourselves of that daily. Our sins are forgiven. And then how do we respond to the person who has forgiven us our sins? John writes in Revelation with the voice of Christ. He says to a church, you have forgotten your first love. You've got all this going for you. You've got all this right. You've done all these wonderful things. You've probably had all this remarkable teaching. You've started all these community projects. You've done all this. You've done all that. That's absolutely fabulous. But now let me tell you this. You have left, walked away from, forgotten, buried your first love. Look, the starting point of our journey of faith, which must be a hallmark all the way through it, is this. That our sins are forgiven. And that we know, Father. And I would suggest this. Every day, every day, every day, Russ, every day, remind yourselves of that. And be thankful for it. Let it be the first, one of the first things you say in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for accepting me as a child. Every day. You forget that and you suddenly think the next things are more important. Nothing is more important. So I guess John would particularly say to people who are very new in the faith, dear children, your sins are forgiven. And you have known the Father. But he would also say to those of us who are old, hey, do you still know that your sins are forgiven? Oh, yes. Then why are you beating yourself up? Why are you still anxious over the sin you committed 50 years ago? Why are you still screwed up over that? You need some help. Talk to other Christians. Go to a counsellor. Get some therapy. Why are you screwed up over it? Your sins are forgiven. And then how do you live as a forgiven person? 
How do we respond to it? Okay, John moves on. And uh, by the way, if you do forget that, and this is all too common in the church, isn't it? If you do forget that and you move on because other things seem more important or you need to be more mature or more intelligent in the Christian faith, you can very easily become hard and empty and cold and bitter and judgmental. And that, your sins being forgiven and knowing the Father will save you from being like that. And you can often tell that when you're talking to people. You know there's just, the love has gone. The love has gone. Let's not be like that as a church. He moves on and he talks to the youth. And he says this. Um, you have overcome the evil one. Oh my goodness. He's talking to people on the journey of faith. And he says, you have overcome the evil one. I mean, that sounds like something you would do if you're 250 years old and you've learned enough, right? But John writes to them. He says, you have overcome the evil one. And then in the second paragraph of, uh, of his poem, he says this, because you are strong. And then he explains, why are they strong? Because the word lives in them. Can you see that? You have overcome the evil one. Have I, John? Yes, because you are strong. Oh, why am I strong? Because the word lives in me. So we can reverse it. The word doesn't live in me, John. Am I strong? No. Can I overcome the evil one? No. So John here is writing to a community of believers which he knows have had the, the basic foundational teachings of Jesus as the living word. That's very important to John. Jesus is in you, in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in you. Don't forget that. He is the living word. But also, and remember John didn't have the Bible as full as we have it now. He had writings and scriptures and had access to scrolls in synagogues and he, he was encouraging people chew on it chew on it it's it's the word chew on it this is about God and it's about humanity chew on it you see this is this is why we have programs like we did with Mark uh, teaching how to read the Bible and why we have the immersed reading plans because we so important for us that the Bible is eaten by us spiritually, soulfully, mentally, that it's inside of us. Because it makes us strong. It makes us strong. Wouldn't it be great to be able to say, oh yeah, I've, I've overcome the evil one. I've overcome the evil one. John says, you've overcome the evil one because you are strong. And here's why you're strong. You're reading the right stuff. And he talks about the word, and we're not sure in this passage whether it's, it's, it's the word as in written or as it's in Jesus, the Holy Spirit in you. But either way, he's saying to people who are on the journey of faith, you should be strong and you should be overcoming the evil one. Paul the Apostle writes in another place, resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Resist the enemy and he, there's this expectation that we don't go through life as a Christian going, oh, the enemy's coming, the enemy's coming. And we're running around, oh, temptation, temptation. But actually, we are strong. Can you see this? We shouldn't be worried that Satan is around like a prowling lion. Because we should be on a journey that helps us be strong. You know, our greatest example is of Jesus fasting in the wilderness for weeks, right? His body and his mind, his thinking processes are at their weakest they could possibly be. Be clear of that. 
they are. That's what happens to human bodies and the synapses in our brains when they're not getting the nutrients they should get. And the enemy, Satan, knows this. And we're given a fly-on-the-wall account. And Satan comes to this, this bodily damaged, weakened person of Jesus Christ and tempts him. Actually, he accuses him first and then tempts him on three occasions. And Jesus, in this weakened state, has nothing clever to say back. He can't string together the Beatitudes, which he's probably been working on. He hasn't got his best mini-sermon he hasn't got a parable on the tip of his tongue. Do you know what he does? What does he do? He quotes the prophets. Because it's in him. He just quotes the prophets. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That's all he can remember. Something he's read. Boy, was he strong. It says, it says and the devil left him. The devil left him because this man in his weakened state had something strong inside of him and the strength he had inside of him was something that he'd read and learned from here. I want to encourage you, whatever your age, and I know generations are coming through now where actually you don't wave around a paper, paper Bible, but your Bible is all mixed up and confused with uh, Tinder or whatever else is on the uh, Reddit, um, TikTok, TikTok, whatever it's called, all this, it's all in there. Should I TikTok now or read the Bible? What should I do? And, and wow, I'm so glad I'm not in your generation, right? Uh, because I always had a special book which made it more special, even though the binding and the paper is nothing special about it at all. But, but let me urge you, please, TikTok isn't going to make you strong, or Instagram, or Reddit, or Facebook, or Twitter. They are not going to make you strong. They won't help you overcome the evil one. They won't guaranteed okay we're going to look down the camera lens right now they won't guaranteed okay but getting through the holy spirit the living word of jesus in you every day and then reading the gift we have will and you will be able to overcome the evil one wow what a journey to be on let's move on by the way, uh, we need to be decisive and intentional about that. I feel like Prince Charles. Where's my... King Charles. Decisive and in ten. Decisive and intentional. But why don't we just pause right now? Close your eyes. Not going to pray. I'm just going to ask you to consider. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. You know you are. Besides last Sunday and maybe small group, when have you chewed on the word of God? When have you eaten? When you prayed the prayer, Lord, I'm going to work today. I've got all this to faith. face. It's going to, make, it's going to be a tough day. I need your strength. I need your Holy Spirit. When have you done that? When have you fed through the Holy Spirit on Jesus? When have you sat down and, and opened the Bible and said, Lord, speak to me today. Feed me. Well, be decisive right now, just in this moment. You don't have to say anything out loud. Make a promise to yourself. I'm going to do better. I'm going to start eating my spiritual food. I'm going to be a self-feeder. I'm not going to wait till Sundays and small groups. I'm, I'm going to cook my own spiritual dinner. Okay, you can look up. And then he comes to parents, does John. Uh, and he says this. You've been on this journey of faith for a, a long time. And he says, you know him 
who is from the beginning. I write to you parents, he says. You know him who is from the beginning. And I love this. I love this. Because he started out, remember, with children. And he said, you know God as father. Daddy. He's forgiven your sins. And he said, come into the family. And by the time he's here on the journey for people who are mature and growing in the faith, he doesn't say you know God as daddy. He says you know him who is from the beginning. I love that. You know something of the vastness, the awesomeness, the completeness of God. You understand that God isn't just the one who says, oh, your sins are forgiven, welcome to family. Although we remind ourselves of that, and that is paramount and foundational. But you know God in more. You know that God is still awesome and sovereign and incredible when you were really going through it and felt your prayers weren't being answered. You see, people who know God as Father might not be able to get through that. But people who are mature parents in the faith, you know when you are in the valley and your body is crying out in pain or you're in mental anguish and there's stuff going on in your head and you cannot figure it out, you can still lift your eyes up and go, Lord Jesus, I still serve you. That's who he's talking about. That's who he's talking about. That's faith. That's faith. Faith isn't, Lord, we believe for uh, two million pounds for our latest private jet for our pastor to fly around the world on. Look, let me tell you, that's not faith. That's greed. Okay? Faith is this. When you're at your weakest and your lowest, when everyone has failed you, You lift your eyes up and you say, Jesus, I love you. I still serve you. That's faith. That's maturity. Wow. I want to live like that. I want to live like that and still be decisive and intentional about growing and overcoming the evil one. And I want to live like that and still know every day My sins are forgiven and there's a dad who loves me. That's the journey of faith that John writes about. These people here, they uh, they understand something about the mix of... Can you read that? Or and... intimacy they have this great ability to have an intimate relationship with God but also grasp his awesomeness King Charles was walking along the crowd just a couple of days ago his first look at the flowers and the things that had been left for his mother and there were a couple of ladies in the crowd and the first one just reached out grabbed him round the back of the head and Give him a big sloppery one on the cheek. Right? I would suggest the next lady said, do you mind if I kiss your hand? He offered his hand. She kissed it. The word for worship in the New Testament is proskuneo. It means to, to lean towards and to kiss. To lean towards and to kiss. It's that mix of awe and intimacy. I looked at that lady kissing his hand and I thought, Jesus, that's what I want to be like with you. I want to be close enough to hold your hand. I want that there and I want to be able to kiss you. But you're not my best buddy. You're not just my mate. You're the sovereign of the universe. You lead me on towards holiness and righteousness. You want to clean me up every day. You want to make me better every day. That's what these people are like I want to get to the end of our life don't we folks and know that Jesus is going to greet us and say well done 
good and faithful servant. I'm sure that was said about our queen. I want it to be said about me. The lad from the steel town. What about you? Do you want it said about you? Well done. So let's take this journey seriously. Let's not be passive and reductive about it. But every day, let's remind ourselves that we are to be like children, knowing our sins are forgiven, knowing God is daddy. Let's be like young people. Be decisive and intentional so that we can overcome the evil one and be strong. And let us have this lovely sense of awe and intimacy with God. And know him who is from the beginning. Let's stand together. Father God, here we are. Just a community of believers. Just like the one that John was writing to. Maybe they didn't meet in a building like this or wear the same clothes we've got. But they were trying to serve the same God. Follow the same Jesus. Struggling with the same kind of things emotional things, relational things, financial things. And here, here we are, we're just like them, Lord. And we take encouragement from our late queen who committed herself to you at the beginning of her reign and then unashamedly spoke about you, taught about you throughout it to the nation. Lord, we want to be in our world, in our activities, in our sphere of influence. We want to be like that. So help us, Lord, to not be a church of passive believers, but of active, intentional, decisive growers. We give you again, Lord, our hearts. We give you our soul. Let it be a passion for us. Let it be a desire for us to serve you and to follow you. We ask it in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.